Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Dungeon Deep Dive. This is either a post-intermission or a new episode, so let's introduce ourselves again. My name's Tully. Here at the table with me are... I've been Lachlan for most of this time. I will be Grace. So, first of all, up top, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land. This is the traditionally the land of the Turrbal and Yagara people. Um, we would like to pay respect to elders, past, present, and emerging, and note that this has and always will be a land of storytelling and learning, and we hope to continue in that tra- in that tradition. And sovereignty was never ceded. Yep. This is, was, and always will be Aboriginal land. Yeah. So this is potentially part two, um, which is code for... when I mean, realistically, whenever you see a part two of Dungeon Deep Dive in your podcast feed, that's code for Lachlan Talk Too Long in part one. I mean, to be fair, last time it was Maddie and Tully Talk Too Long. Mm-mm-mm. Was it? Yeah, one day you... It was, it was almost definitely me as a major driver of that one. Okay. Well, I talked for yeah. like 40 minutes. Every other part two we've ever done has been because I talked for too one long. One day you guys are going to give me a nice shiny topic and finally oh, it'll be yeah. my fault and everyone will be sick of it then. I definitely feel like I have the worst hit, right? That That's fair. I, I am the most vo- verbose host of the show. Yeah. Oh, well, I do too much reading and then I have, it's so hard to condense it and I'm so lazy so I don't write it down into like a concise way. So I just kind of like go off the top of my head. See, I, I mean, I, it takes a lot of the pressure off me. Sometimes like I, I think I've got a really good topic and then I get like eight notes and I'm like, oh, it's all right. Lachlan will make up the rest of the time we need for the podcast. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, plenty to say. my notes are only one page long this time, which is nice, uh, especially compared to Salt where it's uh, a page and a half. In my defense, my actual section on drugs was only like 40 minutes, which is only like 10 minutes longer than I usually am supposed to talk. But you did let me talk too much about fascism at the beginning. That's, we, we that's should always, always <laughs> our problem. You said the word fascism and I should have said, hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, you hey, have a thesis drugs. for that. Save the words. Yeah, you're not allowed to bring up politics or mm. economics on this podcast or I will just lose my shit. Which is a problem because we're talking about history, which is so much driven by politics and economics. There's never been any relation, actually. Never? Ever? No, not until uh, Marx's uh, critique of political economy. That was the first time politics and economy were ever put together. I, I thought it was uh, Marcus Politicus Economus, uh, the, the famous philosopher of, of the <laughs> 1920s. Uh, who Th- uh, That's a common misconception, but political economy was actually coined in the 1800s. Look, I mean... Um, and, and that is... Like, it was... Marx was talking about a purely hypothetical system that did not and never will exist, mm. so... I mean, we rag on Lachlan a lot, but if we started talking about, like, D&D mechanics with Utali, you do exactly the oh. same thing. And Lachlan literally mentioned the words, like oh, I wonder what's happening in this city's punk scene. And I was like, oh, I can tell you. Oh Hold my up. God. Yeah, because I was doing some research for my honours recently. <laughs> I was like, um, here we go. And I was talking to Grace about how uh, I found out that uh, Hitler hated Berlin. 
because it was super progressive. And so it's a big part of the reason um, people say that um, he let the Soviets destroy Berlin at the end of the war. Wow. It was because he just fucking hated the city. He thought it was an awful, vile city. Because, um, I mean, it was like a hotbed of like, like it, it, like you could be uh, probably the safest city in the world in the 1920s to be gay would be Berlin. There you go. To be like openly gay. Because there were gay communities and shit. Uh, the Weimar Republic had universal suffrage for all adults. Women had the vote in the 20s in Germany. Christ. There's a reason that Hitler was as mad as he was. Because he was a fucking bigot. And the, and the Weimar Republic was progressive as hell. Um, I mean, for the time at least. Actually, even for now. But, point being... I can't think of any, uh, any parallels in the modern, no. modern day. No. Well, <laughs> well I know no. that Berlin is now a pretty progressive place again. And that's kind of like come back around since, uh, eventually. I mean, did somebody say London? <laughs> Um, and I was asking Grace, because Grace was talking about how she knows a lot about punk music around the world. I was like, man, I wonder what uh, punk music in Berlin is like at the moment. And Grace looked at her phone, and I swear to God, it was like, it was. imagine how easy it would be if I said to you, oh, Tully, can you check my contact in your phone to make sure that the number's right? Mm. And you would just like, you just know how to do it. You know the things to do with your fingers to make that happen. It's very, very easy. It would take you 14 seconds. Yeah. That's what Grace did, pulling up an album, a a fucking German punk album released from a band based in Berlin last year. Grace just like whips out her phone. She's just like, she presses like four buttons and she's like, oh, this is what it sounds like now and starts playing it. <laughs> and the worst part was she was looking through her own playlists. Yeah, anyway, um, I highly recommend the Spotify playlist, Punk Isn't Dead. <laughs> it Got was it. fucking wild. I was like, man, what a weird esoteric question. And Grace was like, oh, I know exactly what Berlin punk music is like right now. Uh, here, it's here good. you go. It's this good. is what's coming out right now. <laughs> I was like, yeah. how the fuck did you have an answer for that? It was rhetorical. Yeah, sometimes Lachlan just asks questions and I think isn't really expecting an answer. But I'm like, hold up. We're I've not going to let this one slide. I have to show you that I do sometimes use my one brain cell. Yeah, so for all of the listeners at home that are constantly infuriated by how much I completely derail the podcast, just know that That's these fuckers are like that all the time. <laughs> yeah, just, we just not on the show. Yeah, You just haven't like hit our topics yet. Yeah. The, this show just happens to be about the things that I do that about. Yeah, and that's the thing is like the things I do that about are generally like a lot more modern, so they don't show up as much in the show. Whereas I, I, I lose I, my shit for I literally threatened these two the other week with like an corsets. episode about corsets. Which I think we should do. I mean, we could just do a solo, solo app. Yeah. Do yeah. a solo app on corsets. Yeah. Um, That's not a threat. I don't want to do I work. Want, I, I would love to hear you do <laughs> oh, no. like a full I'll on give you, I'll give you two weeks off. Yeah, dude, seriously. Um, Yeah, so I believe... Grace, you wanted to talk to us a little I bit. I do. Okay, so look, last episode, Lachlan was like, oh, the, the what was it? The Catholics didn't do drugs? Uh, they, they moved us away from the shamanistic take on drugs onto a little more like a pres- of like prophecy with drugs ah, too. Like, so drug, drugs were no longer prophetic as much the Catholic when church, the Catholic Church The Catholic, Catholic Church removed church drugs from the priesthood because they didn't want them to have like forbidden knowledge because they thought that they worked at the time. So mm. they thought that like if you went into a drug-induced trance that it would be like you would learn like the, like the devil would give you a prophecy instead of God which could give you the prophecy through the book. Well, mm. I have frankincense this week. So... Ooh. Frankincense is a fun one because this is one... Frankincense is fun. This is one that they were like... Oh. Uh, it smells nice. If you're wondering what I was talking about in the context of uh, why I would make the bold claim that everyone was high talking to Delphi and nobody thought it was important, so they didn't mention it, fucking listen to this frankincense shit. 
Okay. So. This shit still happens. Frankincense is based... I'm going to get close to this mic. Um, basically, frankincense is made from tree resin mm. uh, from the Boswellia tree that is sort of native to the um, like northeastern, northeastern Africa and that's sort of like quite a warm climate. It's like very hard to get. It's pr- like protected these days, I'm pretty sure, because it's depending on what trees you get it from and where they grow and their conditions, the quality of the frankincense I- varies wildly. Mm. It's very expensive. And a lot of the like frankincense incense you buy, no actual frankincense. It's just scented. Um, a lot I of the frankincense... Basically, the church has a monopoly on frankincense uh, because they're the people who have enough money to afford this. It's incredibly, incredibly expensive, for, um, especially for the good quality stuff. I would note for those playing along at home how fucking close places like Jerusalem are to northern Africa. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, great uh, baby shower gift. Yeah, just a little bit, little bit of frankincense. Little bit That's of what I was always told. Yeah. Um, so basically, it can be turned into... I read into a really good book about it once. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read... I, well, I started reading the book, but then I lost interest. But I've seen a lot of fan fiction. I've seen a lot of fan fiction. Um, and fan art. You'd be shocked. Uh, basically, it can be turned pretty into... pretty sure I would be shocked. <laughs> I see a lot of fan <laughs> statues, which no! is weird. No! That takes so long. How cringe. Ugh, who would... Yeah, God. Um, so, oil... I mean, Jesus is just a self-insert. We all know it, right? Oh, absolutely. He's a Mary Sue. Jesus is God's self-insert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. It's as if we weren't already on, like, watch lists for, like, religious groups. Oh... One day I'll go back to the church my family used to take me to as a kid and they're going to they're gonna boo me out. They're going to – we don't – I don't think we do this very often anymore, but I think I will be burnt at the stake. Mm. Um, so oil, incense or burned in its raw form, which sort of looks like a – looks like a crystal almost, mm. like little, little hard rocks almost. Uh, yeah, think dabs if for people who – think dabs. Mm. That's, um, a, that's another crystallized resin. So in its in its rawest purest form, it used to be used as like a spiritual practice, meditation, medical application. That's what it was sort of known for before the church. Yeah. Um, oh, what a beautiful time that was. They've done a lot of study into it. Obviously, it's a very important part of uh, Catholic churches, churches in general. It's just an important part of, like, Christian religion. Especially yeah. Orthodox, like, Catholicism and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so they, they were a bunch of scientists doing a bunch of stuff, like, researching it. They were like, what's up with this? What, yeah. Why? Why? What's the um, deal with frankincense? <laughs> that's, that's actually what the scientists say at the beginning of every of their papers. Mm. Legally, um, you have to, otherwise <laughs> you're not allowed to publish. It's actually, it's against the scientific method to not begin a paper with that. Yeah. Well, you need a you need a, a hypothesis. You need a question. You need to be asking <laughs> something, right? Yeah. What's um, the deal? That's a perfectly fully formed scientific hypothesis. What's the deal with frankincense? So this is a quote from the abstract of a paper they wrote about the experiments they performed to like test this sort of thing. Mm. Um, to determine incense's psychoactive effects, the researchers administered frankincense, um, which is referred to like scientifically as incensile acetate. 
uh, to mice, they found that the compound significantly affected areas in the brain known to be involved in emotions as well as nerve circuits that are affected by uh, current anxiety and depression drugs. So basically, hmm. they were researching ways to use frankincense as sort of like a, a gentler method of antidepressant and anti-anxiety. Ah. That's the sort of effect that it has on the brain. And, and like a lot of antidepressants, it also does have an effect on pain receptors and on, on nerve. I would assume so, yeah. It activates a protein called TRPV3, which is present in mammalian brains and is also known to play a role in the perception of warmth of the skin. Um, when mice bred without this protein were exposed, the compound had no effect on them. So basically, if you're a mammal who has this protein receptor, you will feel the effects and it will also make you feel, like, warm. Oh. They found this out by, like, making some mice that didn't have it and they were like, it doesn't affect them. It is this protein that it affects. Which means that you know... Uh, I don't know why I said it like that. That doesn't make any sense. I just think it's interesting... The parallels between like t- having a drink that warms you up, or mm-hmm. like like there is always this thing with drugs. It's one of the very early eff- like effects where you can tell something is working is a change in your skin temperature. Mm. It, I just think it's interesting that like frankincense fits that mold because it's yeah. like you take like a stimulant, you take a hallucinogenic, you take whatever. You can the first thing you notice is your skin. Because, I mean, that's where your body puts things first. When mm. it doesn't know what to do with something, it goes straight to the skin. Yeah. I would, I would imagine that's why it's part of it. I don't know. You'll probably explain it. <laughs> um, so, basically, and I, I think I'm saying this right, but Dioscorides, who was a, like a Greek, early Greek philosopher, like medical sort of guy in the – you can look at the writing – It's probably Dioscorides. Well, yeah. Let's chalk it up to accent. Um, (laughs) In the first century, writes that it caused madness. Hmm. He he looked at this and he looked at its effects and he was like, "This causes madness. Don't touch it, dudes. Don't go near it. It's bad. I don't trust it." And nobody ever used frankincense again. Um, In the Jewish Talmud, so about three hundred. It says CE here. Common era. Common era. Yeah. Uh, frankincense resin is mentioned as a potion in wine given to prisoners condemned to death to benumb the senses. Okay. So, um, okay. That's interesting. A major medieval scholar in the air, um, like in the area talks about how Boswellia resin is given to condemned person that he, a condemned person so that he will not worry. So the idea is you're, it's essentially like having a, having a few drinks before you go to the gallows. They yeah. give you this in wine to calm you, to soothe you, so that it is sort of a more, I would say, humane way to uh, go. I mean, it sounds exactly like how Homer talks about nepenthes mm. in, in the Odyssey. Like soothing the emotions, calming the, like calming the mind, yeah. making you okay with a terrible thing. Yeah, except this here is talked about um, as a, potion in wine so i'm assuming that it is like ground or broken up and mixed in as a drink as opposed to the more common smoking incense way that we would think of frankincense today i think that's interesting if i just i just think it's interesting what that says about the culture 
that yeah. they would give that to a condemned person. Because that really goes to show they understand the, Im- the inherent immorality of taking a life. And I think it really draws attention to the fact that, like, this was a time where regimes were built and lived and died on a man- essentially a mandate over blood. I have, by virtue of my royal blood, control over the the lives and the spirits and the work of everyone in this place. And so when someone breaks my rules, it is my right, my necessity to prove my claim over your lives by taking your blood. I I will kill you. And it's just the wrong thing to do in any other circumstance, but in this circumstance, it's what we have to do. And I just think it's interesting that it really draws attention to that, like, knowing you shouldn't do it, but for some reason thinking you have to. And so instead of going about it a different way, you come up with a way to make it so that people aren't as afraid. Because, I mean, I guess, like, it would be pretty fucking distressing to go to a public execution and some dude's just, like, screaming. Yeah. Which, oh, my God, I read a story once about that did happen in France while they were guillotining people. There was this one guy who got his head, like, like a third Stuck. of the way cut off. And it, so it Whoa. didn't get to the point where he was, like, choking and dying. So and then, but because the, the guillotine was too blunt. So they brought it down, like, three times, got his head, like, half off, but still not to the point where he was, like, dying very quickly. And he went into the crowd and, like, begged people for a fucking pen knife. Jeez. Uh, like, he, like the, the guards were just, like, didn't know what to do and just kind of stood back as he got up from the thing. And he was like, please, fucking someone give me something. I need to finish this. I need to get my head off now. Stat. So, like, there is a probably probably pretty good there. We're giving the frankincense because that sounds pretty distressing for all involved. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It seems I just upsetting. For I just sure. think it really it really draws attention to like the way power worked at this time. Mm. Yeah. Um. So I also found a post on a forum from uh, the sixteenth of the fourth, twenty twelve, at two ten a.m. <laughs> from this guy that smoked some frankincense and was like, hey, guys, i got to tell you what this is about in a purely scientific way, of course. Here's my, po- here's my post about it. Which, hold on, which website was this? Oh, God, I can't even remember. I will send it and we can like link it in the show notes. Please do. it's very good. Because I, I, it might be, I can't remember the name of it, but I, th- I know... I don't know. I just really like these forums, these weird like mm. drug forums where someone will like put together a bunch of fucking chemicals in their like home yeah. lab that are not drugs, that are not known to be drugs. Then and, they just take it. Yeah. And it's just like like experimental like chemists being like amateur psychonauts, just like fucking. Mm. Let's see what this does. What mm. did this do to the body? This this could be psychoactive. Yeah, it might I love be. that shit. Let's see. Um, but this is a quote from this guy. I found that. Th- Uh, I found that three to five minutes after numerous inhalations that my mood was lifted a little bit. I might even say a little euphoric. I closed my eyes and found that while I couldn't see anything, there was a definite definite depth to the blackness. When I covered my eyes and waited for something to emerge, flowing lights appeared, which I could sometimes form images of things that I observed that day and then fade away. Another interesting thing was that I found myself forming sentences with much more ease. I was speaking before I knew what I was going to say, but the sentences were coherent. Which I thought was interesting. It sounds like it's just a lack of anxiety more than anything. It's like you finally get to chill and like imagine things in a chill without stressing about it. And you get to like just speak freely. Because I mean, when you get into a flow state, you don't know what you're saying before you say it. You're just, your brain is so engaged that it's doing that work in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You've never experienced that before, have you? No. No. I've never done a drug. 
before. It's illegal. Oh, I was going to talk about. I was, I was meaning flow state. I've never spoken or done drugs. Yeah, Lachlan doesn't hyperfixate. I've never, I've never emotionally or chemically induced this state, and I never will. I'll never speak or do drugs. <laughs> we can't keep doing this joke. <laughs> no, it's not. Anyway, Lachlan, <laughs> Lachlan doesn't need drugs. I ADHD handles that one for you, I'm pretty sure. No, my amphetamines handle that for me. <laughs> I don't need drugs, I just take amphetamines. <laughs> 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 oh, government assigned amphetamines. Honestly. Why does your mum let you have amphetamine? It was so fun getting him from my psych. She had to like call up Queensland Health and be, and she was like fucking like given like nuclear launch codes into the phone. She's like she's like I'm getting this script. I need this script. It's this number. It's this thing. And, and you hear a voice. It's like yes. And what is the authorization code? And she's like it is double double double. It's D four eight nine three six one two four nine D six X B eight G Y. And I'm like what the fuck is happening? I just I, need a scream. I'm pretty sure one of the one of the letters you just used was bean. Um, <laughs> that's uh, it, that's a symbol you wouldn't get. It's a medical term. Yep. But that's actually way easier than it used to be. They've actually lifted a lot of restrictions. You used to have to cut the key out of a man's heart. Mm, 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 mm. That's what Saw's based on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's just Saw trying just to get his ADHD meds. <laughs> He's just a psychiatrist. <laughs> Uh, I want to have I want to have like a Hannibal Saw crossover. Ooh, can we do a, like a Saw reboot where it's like I don't know. There's a fun metaphor there where it's like about like trans health, where it's like instead of like having to like uh, not transition but pretend you're transitioning. Do you guys know about this? To get fucking transition drugs, you essentially have to openly you have to out yourself without any drugs first. You have to go out into the world. In like completely as you are, and just like if just like put on a dress and not get beaten to death for six months, and then they'll let you take the drugs. <laughs> That's to make like, it so that it's really safe fucked. enough for you to go outside wearing a dress. Oh my god, it's really good shit. So I just think it's fun. I think there could be a fun analogy between like it's like that is compared to the like girl in Saw who had to cut the chest out of her boyfriend's thing to like unlock her thing. Do you guys know about that? There's a fun I, scene in the first Saw. She has I, a face mask on. Oh, I, I don't it, watch yeah. Saw because it scares me. Just like the idea of like jumping through dangerous hoops. Mm. Because like outing yourself publicly as a trans person is a very dangerous thing to do. And that's what I mean, the medical ho- establishment is always requires. allegorical. You'd know this better than any of us. Yeah. 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 Look, trans trans topics aren't handled well in horror. I'm gonna <gasps> be honest. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm shocked. Yeah, Society it's not loves trans people though. You would think and yet here we are. I just think it's a fun movie that could be made. Yeah. Um, if anyone wants to fund this, we just have hit us up. no experience. We have no experience, but like we'll do it. It'd be fun. Yeah, I'd like to. You'd like it. We'd make something that you would enjoy. Yeah, we'd make something that you would enjoy. Nobody that doesn't listen to this would. No. <laughs> but if you listen to this, then you'll probably like be it. on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, that's really all I had to say was that um, here's the history of it. Here's what it's made out of. It does this thing with the proteins. And um, here's, this guy, here's this guy that was doing it at 2.10 a.m. Um, in 2012. And here's what he had to say. Because I also think that uh, especially like hearing this guy talking about it and hearing about how it affects uh, like your brain, it does – it brings an interesting – 
like an interesting aspect to the idea of going to church every week as like a poor medieval person. Mm. Like every week you show up to church and you feel calm and warm and relaxed because there's fucking incense everywhere and you feel happy and close to God and you feel like you feel like you you are in the flow. You're like, wow, yeah, this is comfort. I feel like I'm comfortable and I'm at home and Ask I'm welcome. in the warmth of God. Yeah. Yeah, this is a time where like the church says happiness comes from God. If yeah. you feel good, it's because of God. And so you show up at church and you feel good because you're high all the time. Yeah, I Fucking, just... And, and this is what I was saying before. Nobody coming out... We have centuries of stuff written about the church and a bunch of it talks about like religious stupor and like going into like a trance and everything during mass and shit in orthodox churches hmm. in places where you've got to remember we're talking like churches where priests are walking around with like frankincense burners just billowing smoke down just walking down the aisles just hotboxing the fucking cathedral <laughs> like and when have you ever read a recount of a church experience where someone said i walked in the room and i got high never if anyone ever feels like that it's the holy spirit Mm-hmm. Not drugs. So fucking tell me, why would they write about Delphi's volcanic fumes? It was just too mundane. Mm-hmm. This shit just happened. It's just what the divine was like. It's just what living was like. It was the same as taking paracetamol. Yeah, it was just part of life. We, we're not going to talk about in our fucking journals and shit in the, that are going to be read by historians how much paracetamol we took in our days the amount of paracetamol that i've taken in my life like people are going to look back and be like oh maybe they were just less sore then because i mean i'm reading all these journals and nobody's talking about pain medication and we take it all the time it's just not remarkable i just have panadol on my desk if i'm sore i'll take some Mm. no i do actually every time i take panadol i write it down in a little journal uh, because I often forget to take Panadol because I think it's not that bad until it's really bad. And then I'm like, I'm an idiot. I should have done this four hours ago. <laughs> I can't believe I'm trying to like fucking gaslight myself into not feeling pain. <laughs> God. Uh, um, Panadol's a little bit expensive sometimes. Yeah, that's that's always unfortunate. But I don't know. I, just th- I think that proves my Delphi theory or at least adds a lot of credence to my Delphi theory because I couldn't find enough specifically on that because obviously nobody mm. wrote about it. So it's like you can't prove that without going back in time and I don't have the time for that. And you didn't know that the entire time you've been talking about this, every time you sell Delphi, it knocks me off guard because uh, for a good nine months there, <laughs> our Star Wars campaign, my character was Delphi. And every time Lachlan was like, yeah, when Delphi did this, I was like, wait, hold up. We didn't do that did in we? Star Wars. I'm <laughs> pretty Star sure we Wars? just fought some Sith. <laughs> I don't remember any volcanoes. I did, however, get to like, read the future. You did get to read the future a bit. Yeah, I think my name's through. Mm. Yeah. Um, cool. So, I'm going to jump in here. I hate how every time you go to speak, you, like, stare at me and you wait, like, four <laughs> seconds to in see if I'm going to go on another in. rant. Literally, for the past, I think, eight minutes, I've done... <laughs> yeah. I just had shit to say. <laughs> just, like, every minute or so. Um, um, you can cut me out of the podcast if you want. You're the bloody no. edited out if you don't think it was good. No. I mean, it was it's good content. It's just like oh, it's good content. I'm I'm just also sitting here going notes. What am I doing when I get home? Hmm. Look, I realized that I'd been looking at you for the whole first half, so I tried to look at Grace more while she was talking. That's fair, and it meant that I didn't notice. Quite frankly, <laughs> that's fair. Um, so basically, I wanted to springboard off a couple of things that um, Lachlan talked about in the in the last app. 
Oh, well, speaking of things Lachlan talked about, I watched <laughs> Um, and basically the idea of it is that uh, drugs aren't inherently bad and, and addiction uh, to the point of debilitation doesn't actually happen in a field where social needs are net, or at least are met, at least not in the sort of way that we see addiction currently. Yeah, um, that's a, that, that is a good point. It's worth, it is worth keeping in mind that the reason societal breakdown leads to drug problems is because societal stability... Doesn't. Yeah. That's really the key here, is that a stable community isn't going to fall into, like, debilitating vice. Yeah. And so what I actually started this research on was um, how does addiction work and how does it affect drug hotspots like opium dens? And what I found out in doing the research was that actually opium dens are only a result of a societal breakdown. It's Mm -hmm. literally, like, they don't exist where you don't have endemic problems because if you need somewhere specifically to hide and do opium and forget about the world you're doing more than just taking opium yeah you're hiding from something um and so i wanted to talk a little bit basically i as i again mentioned last uh last episode um the only real published references to drugs that came out uh through from wizards to do with dnd was in a book called the book of vile darkness and basically that connotation is drugs equals evil. Um, and that's sort of where they left it, pretty much. I mean, that's how it works in real life that's once. I ate one weed and now I'm evil. Mm. Um, it's just it's so interesting that that this connotation is, just survived for so long. Because, I mean, recently, when I was having a big problem with my thesis, I took some LSD to fix it. And you want to know what? It fucking worked. Um, I managed to work out... I worked out the problem I had with my thesis. I'm like, drugs are great. <laughs> Uh, and so uh, what I want to talk about to begin with is uh, what, what's called the Rat Park Experiments, otherwise sometimes known as the Utopia Experiments. Oh, I love these. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And so essentially this was an experiment conducted in the late 1970s by a scientist named, named Bruce K. Alexander. Oh, my God. How did I do all of that research on this exact phenomenon and never connect it to the rat thing? I exactly. I live in rat heaven. I want someone to make me a little cage with lots of like spinning <laughs> things and like stuff to run on and friends, and then I will happy and good and why I won't need drugs or hmm. alcohol or anything. Well, you'll still take the drugs. Yeah, you'll still... Th- well, yeah, so fun and I won't kill myself on the cocaine. So essentially what happened was uh, this... Um, Alexander had uh, a working theory, which is that social fulfilment actually negates the need for addictive substances. Mm. Um, and so the main experiments... Because the main experiments on drugs up until this point, you had rats in cages that had two water sources. They had a water source that was just regular, just water, and they had a, or sometimes like uh, it had some sweetener to it and then a water source with morphine and then some sweetener in the ones that had sweetener because like morphine's quite bitter. Mm. So the sweetener was added to offset the taste. Um, so they'd try it the first time. Which is interesting to note because that probably means the morphine one tastes worse, at least from like a human palate. Mm. And so what all these studies had found essentially like in the past was with these lab rats, they would always drink the morphine water some, uh, oftentimes until they died. Uh, and so the, uh, the assumption by the scientific community at large was, okay, well, rats will always default to the morphine and will drink it till they die. Ergo, morphine is addictive and, erg- and you, if you give morphine to a person, they will keep doing it until they die. Mm. Yeah, because it's it's this is also a point in 
culture where drugs aren't used as like the commonplace day-to-day working man's thing that they were in that they were kind of originally used as in a lot of cultures where it was like you would uh take some peyote or take some fucking coca or whatever and it would help you like get through a long shift on the like a laboring on the farm or whatever Mm. like this is a time where drugs are just seen as for, for people for anyone who hasn't done drugs i know that we talk about a lot uh, there's like that common like a uh, thought experiment uh, that also kind of uh, that i think was based on this experiment that you're talking about the mm. idea of like if you had like a rat in a cage with a pleasure button essentially yeah which is something that people talk about sometimes that is just how drugs work if you haven't taken drugs before it's literally it's like, I'm not exaggerating. It is just a pleasure button. It just activates the chemicals in your brain that make you feel good. Mm. So, like, it's... At a, at, so, at a time where it's, like, not commonly used for anything other than feeling good, and feeling good is socially unacceptable, that's not a reason to do things in this culture anymore, mm. then, like, it, an experiment and this is, with... This is, uh, all these experiments that are going on, they're sort of just post-war as, as mm. well. They're post-World War Two. Uh, so... There's some shit going on in the world. Yeah, so an experiment like this with like just water and morphine water makes a lot of sense at the time because they have a very black and white view of drugs. In comes Bruce K. Alexander um, in the late 1970s uh, and starts doing these experiments. And the idea is that you've got four groups. So you've got two environments. You've got, you've got a cage and what was called the park. Now, the park was still a caged environment, but it was a caged environment that had other rats present and also had, um, like, it also had, like, exercise equipment and just, like, general environment for stimulation. Uh, And the idea was uh, you had isolated and plain living or you had social living with, uh, you know, social contact and exercise and stuff like that. All uh, the, your hierarchy of needs, all your needs you are fulfilled, up Tully, to self-fulfillment. I need you to know, right now, you're writing my argument as to why minimalism is hell. <laughs> nice. Uh, and so they had four groups, uh, and essentially, you can classify, they, they're just coded with C means cage and P means park, and uh, some of them started in the cage, some of them started in the park, uh, some of them stayed in their first environment, some of them were swapped over. And so if I'm referring to any group, it is like CC means started in the cage, stayed in the cage. Whereas PC means began in the park, went to the cage. Yeah. That's, that's sort of the coding there. Oh, that's the worst group to be in. Yeah. yeah. Could you... Uh... Um, so what the big, the big findings from it was uh, CC and PC were prone to morphine addiction. So these are the ones that ended in the cage. Um, they would frequently drink from the morphine solution, sometimes till death. Um, CP and PP, so these are the ones that ended in the park, did drink the morphine water sometimes, but they would frequently just, even after they, even the ones from the cage who had actually got themselves addicted, even if they were showing withdrawal symptoms, would abstain from the morphine water. Because as if they could tell, I don't need this anymore. Exactly. And so that was was what came through. And so further... Basically, That's this was a really basic study, but it <gasps> went to start a whole field of study to show that environmental re- enrichment vastly reduces dependence on cocaine and on opiates in rats, mm. and it's been done on other drugs as well. That also goes to show a level of critical thinking that I don't think we uh, often 
associate with animals mm. other than humans. But like that is a very that is an animal who was like who I mean was addicted to morphine, so understood withdrawals come from not taking morphine. Mm. Like that's a, how addiction happens: is you have withdrawals and you're like, oh, this fucking sucks. I'm gonna keep doing morphine instead. Um, like this is a rat that is aware of why they feel this way, and they're like, well, but I mean. I have friends around. I don't need to do that, though. Exactly. Mm. And that's the... It's, it's Im- friends will help. It's important to know that the rats in the park would still take the morphine water every once in a while. Because drugs are fun. But the ones that had started in the park never got addicted, and the ones that started addicted weaned themselves off it. Mm. Uh, and it's that environmental enrichment. And so this has basically started the whole field of study into, okay, so there's actually social factors to addiction. Um, there were lots of different... Uh, so there was the the biopsycho the biological model, the social model, and the psychological model. Those are the three different modes of thought about drugs and addiction. And there was a lot of trouble reconciling how they fit together. And so in two thousand and two, the World Health Organization uh, adopted a model called the biopsychosocial model. And the idea of that is that these three are intertwined. Uh, you cannot understand the effect of uh, drugs and addiction without looking at the biological effects, the, so- uh, the psychological effects, and the social effects, mm. and the precursors therein. Um, and s- this has been further uh, addressed, uh, sort of, th- when they adopted that, one of the major criticisms was there's no way to quantify one versus the other or, like, the effects that one will have over the other, uh, so it feels very pseudoscience-y. It's not. It's just hard to quantify. Yeah, um, socio- sociology has always had a lot of problem. Has always had a lot of problems with uh, an inability to quantify social things, mm. which I mean, for a while was just resolved with like qualitative research instead of quantitative research. But now, now that disciplines are, re- are kind of merging back together again, you just kind of like if you're doing a sociological thing and you need to like quantify something, you can just look at like the economic factors or the the whatever factors the like the mm. things at play and just be like, oh, well, these things lead to this. And that's that's actually what it led to. Uh, at the moment, one of the prevalent models uh, in addiction is the uh, BPS pathways model. And the idea is you don't actually look at the three domains as separate. You look at their effects on each other. So you can uh, look at subjective well-being. Uh, so the well-being is measured by the psychological uh outcomes and they are actually influenced by the biological to the psychological and the social to psychological relationships how those domains affect psychological well-being and the same can be said for objective health outcomes Uh, those biological outcomes are actually just as influenced by biological things as they are by by social and psychological uh, effects Um, and so uh, this has sort of been a really roundabout way of talking about it, but what this means is that when representing addiction, and this is why I wanted to talk about it, um, when representing addiction, if uh, I want you to conduct a bit of a thought experiment at home, um, just as, as GMs or as players or whatever you'd like, when you are trying to portray a character that has an addiction, um, specific, like let's, let's even simplify it, somebody who your primary thought is, I am going to make a character that's a drug addict. That is the first uh, sort of characteristic that you think of them in. Problematic at best because that's their primary sort of characteristic. But even if you take to that, have a think about how you would portray them. Are you thinking about the social issues and the social situations, all those effects that would flow into their psychological state and their their physical state, their, their health? And are you thinking about 
how their psychological health affects their bio, affects their, their body, affects their health, and how their health affects their psychology. If somebody is looked after socially and psychologically, then they are able to find the supports uh, in, almost, in so many cases to, to get medical help. And if they are looked after uh, medically and socially, then their psychological needs are, are also begin to be met. And so when portraying addiction, rather than this sort of antiquated, you know, uh, the, the Khajiit screamer addict or the, you know, the like the, this sort of um, opium-induced haze that we, that we portray as, you know, th- when we think of addiction, we think of the, the opium dens or that sort of stuff, like crack houses, that, those things. We need to separate those from drugs and addiction and start talking about them and start thinking about them as a result of a combination of social, psychological, and, and biological effects. It is a cocktail of those three that actually lead to these things. And uh, that's how you can start to think about those characters without getting stuck in, oh, drugs and addiction are bad. Uh, we're, we're no longer living in the age of the Book of Vile Darkness. We are here to fix these things to start viewing things in a way that is more holistic and more forgiving and more understanding. Yeah, and and I think it's important to note that like sure there are ways there there are arguments that could be made that like oh well this stuff is like it's more complicated than that or that's like there are still complaints that could be made about like these models, you know? Mm. Cuz like models reality doesn't map to models. No. But the important thing is that we can think about it better than we did before, even if it's not perfect. So I do think it's important to like, because even though we haven't always talked about drugs this way, it doesn't mean drugs haven't always worked this way. Mm. These pathways have always existed. I'm sure one day we'll have a better theory for it, I'm sure. Yeah. But for the moment, like th- that's the best we've got. And it's I think that if you're going to be trying to think about it in an honest way, and especially trying to write about it in an honest way, then it's important to do that work yeah to like to not get caught up in like the thinking of the time even if you're trying to represent the thinking of the time through like characters and stuff the way that you actually deal with it as a writer shouldn't or as a yeah creator shouldn't be that way what it is is not necessarily how we view it there is there's a reason that the epistemological and the on the ontological fields are, are separate is the way we think about something is not necessarily what it is. Mm. Just because we associate in current society drug addiction with homelessness, with uh, sort of uh, like with these uh, vice, I guess is the best mm. way to put it. Just because mm. we associate it with vice doesn't mean it's actually tied to it. And uh, there will be a lot of people who will push back against like the combination of scientific disciplines like that and like or sociological and what people some people consider like hard scientific disciplines. Um, but I think that I mean the socialists in the crowd will recognize that that's the fundamental tenet of historical materialism is that science and sociology are the same thing. Mm. It all is just like the material world. You, you, from your perspective, don't have any difference. There's no difference from your perspective between the way that gravity acts on your body and the way that your emotions act on your body. They're both forces acting on you, you know? So it's, I, I just think it's... Um, there's, a, there's a fun quote here because I was looking for a way to like put that more concisely. Yeah. Um, there's a fun quote here. Uh, from Frederick Engels, who saw, quote, the hist- who saw the history of... Si- who saw the, quote, 
history of science as the history of the gradual clearing away of nonsense, or rather, its replacement by fresh but less absurd nonsense. So it's like this stuff is just kind of like abstract models and stuff, but it's a hell of a lot fucking better than the days that that D&D book was written. So we should at very least... What, the, the far-off year of 2002? Yeah. Uh, the same year that the biopsychosocial model was adopted by the World Health Organization. Yeah, but again, you'll you'll notice that it's... We come up with a new thing and then we slowly replace the old thing with it. It's not an instantaneous thing. Mm. You have to do the work in the world. And I think that adopting this like a, a more progressive and scientifically justified and more useful model for these things is a part of that change. Yeah. I think that it's a part of that clearing away of the old nonsense. I think it also has had an impact because it's only in like and this might just be my experience, but it's only in the last, like, five years that I've even seen people start talking about drugs in a way that isn't about vice. As in, like, that model that we've brought in and the changing discussion around drugs has only really sort of, like, become noticeable, I would say, in most mainstream things. Like, Mm. on fucking A Current Affair bullshit TV show, you can still see them talk about it that way. But if I was watching, say, like like, a documentary... I, I wouldn't see any of the bullshit that we might have in the in 2002 because we, the conversation has been impacted by the bringing in of these new ideas and these new models. Yeah, yeah. and if we, it if takes we start time, it's working. affecting those attitudes, if we start working on the way we perceive these things in our recreation, in our fiction, uh, in our pastimes, then we can begin to start to live those ways of thinking yeah i mean Um, we were joking about like pyramid schemes and stuff at the top of either this episode or part one of this episode Mm. but i mean realistically if you in your game can talk about drugs in a healthy and actually important and useful and like kind way then that means that your three friends are going to walk away and they're going to talk about it like that too oh my god i can't believe i was me getting my little brother to play D&D with us was me just inviting my 14-year-old brother to join our pyramid scheme of, like, university um, fucking... Oh, my God. University-informed um, bullshit. Oh, my God. I wanted him to be a boss, babe. <laughs> but, um, yeah, let's, let's spend our time, especially since we're living the legacy uh, of, uh, of a, a hobby that is fought against moral panic. Let's continue to do that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about it, and the reason I bring this up is I was thinking about it while you were talking, and I was thinking about what I would say, and my instinct was to say something silly or to say something, like, about the game. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, this touches on such an important idea that, like, the social and the real, real world, I use air quotes there, are the same thing. And we mm. need to be treating things in... We need to be treating all of these things with the same level of like seriousness and compassion that we're taught to treat the things that we're, that we should take quote seriously. Yeah. You know, like just cause it's a human problem doesn't mean it's a less important thing. It's still real. Yeah. I feel like we've done a lot of very heavy topics lately. When are we going to get back to like touch holes and piss or something? Yeah. We used to do like guns and sewers. <laughs> yeah. Let's, when did we <laughs> let's do something silly next week. Well, I'm I mean, looking at my be, list right now. To let's be see. fair. 
drugs we thought would be silly. We did think we drugs did would be think silly, dr- but then we, we thought about drugs for like more than 40 seconds and we were like, this is a really serious topic. We yeah. should probably do something about that. <laughs> That's fair. We did um, actually think this would be silly. Um, I mean, okay, the next topic that we did sw- think about curses? I think could have some fun stuff. Curses is fun. Curses I already know what I'm doing for curses. Do we, do we want to do curses and then like a monster of some sort? Well, I'm looking at my yeah. list here. We've also got swearing. Dragons underwear. Let's do dragons. Do you want to finally do dragons? Let's fucking Let's do finally dragons. do dragons. Let's. <gasps> Can we do? Okay, okay. I vote. Um, maybe we maybe we cut this out of the podcast, but maybe we don't. I vote that instead of doing curses next, because realistically, I'm talking about Nazis more. I've already found my Wikipedia I know, article. but you haven't read your Wikipedia article. I did. Well, you can read it again later. I might get on my bullshit about mechanics instead of the evil eye if we do, if I have more time. Well, what if we do as our next two dungeons and then dragons? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. I think that that's going to be <laughs> let's like... Let's just bite the bullet. Have we already done dungeons? Oh, I don't we think we castles done. and I talked about dungeons during castles, yeah, we talked but about we haven't talked about dungeons properly. Oh, okay. I think we talked about dungeons briefly because of dungeon, d- dungeons. Dungeon in castles. Part of castles. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's do dungeons and then dragons, and okay. then we can go to curses after that. Yeah, okay. because I would love to talk about curses, and I'm sure that you guys have some really fun stuff to say, but again, I am mostly going to be talking about like the, the sociological <laughs> yeah. effect that like occultism has had on like the progression of history mm-hmm. and like the serious and important role that like occultic se- like secret societies Societies have played, and the best way to talk about that is talking about how they were directly responsible for Nazism. Yeah, because that really gets the message across. We should do secret societies. I want to put. I want to talk about Tumblr witches. Secret societies could be fun. I I would love (laughs) to talk about like the Freemasons. Oh, Oh, I can. I I had a maths teacher tell us all about the Masons once, and then looked at all of the girls in the room and was like, "You can't repeat any of this." Like he just forgot that we were there. God. Um. I need, I need to get to some uh, assignment work tonight. So. My Nazi yeah. chat does get into the Freemasons, though. Fuck so yes. we'll, we'll get some of that in curses. Don't you worry. Love it. Okay. Thank you all for listening uh, to <laughs> all of our bullshit oh my God. for another fortnight. Uh, we absolutely love or you all. Two. Or, or two. Or oh, two. no. Maybe I we mean, should release it as a weekly thing if we're doing two partners. Maybe that's a thing. Maybe. We'll, 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 we'll talk about it. We'll look we'll at that see. later. Um, at the moment, I'm in like the last yeah, yeah, three yeah. weeks Don't of my degree. So we'll deal with that later. Yeah. yeah. Um, but thank you all for listening to us for another fortnight. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. If you want to get in contact with us uh, about and things. Should. And you should. About things you want to correct, things you want to add, things you want us to do. Uh, if you've used any, any of this stuff in your games or you're DMing, um, Please, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, it's deepdivetnc at gmail.com uh, or you can catch us on our socials at Dungeon Deep Dive on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Um, Send Tully heartwarming messages encouraging him to keep studying and to believe in himself. If your message is trying to change the way that I host the podcast though, go fuck yourself. This is all I'll ever do. I'll never talk for less than an hour. You can never silence me. I will never stop. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, 
Coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 